Hello, hello. Welcome to Stories from the Earth. My name is Jennifer. We are a titch late this morning. Uh, some te technical difficulties, um, but we, we got it. Um, so, yeah, I want to welcome everybody. Got it. Oh, my gosh. There we go. Um, and before we get started, um, I always briefly like to say why I'm doing these interviews. The practice of herbalism is as diverse and dynamic as each individual herb and each individual herbalist. There are many ways to be an herbalist and many ways to interact with the plant world. Each herbalist takes their own path. This series explores the many ways to be an herbalist and who an herbalist is, as well as a discussion on herbalism today and where herbalism might be going in the future. Um, I would, whoop, okay, hold on. I would like to welcome Sarah Jackson. Uh, today she's coming uh, to us from uh, Bat Cave, which is um, oh, a little while out from town. Um, and, um, she's an herbalist, uh, photographer and, um, I guess a woodland steward, uh, as, as, among other things. So hello, Heather, how are you? Um, if anyone has any questions, please leave them in the comments, um, and we will work them in. So anyway, hello. <laughs> Hi from Batcave, chilly, Woo! chilly Batcave. How are you? Batcave, yes. <laughs> are you guys get, supposed to get the snow? I think we're gonna get ice tomorrow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not looking, it's not looking pleasant. Exciting. And, um, yeah. So from from Batcave to everybody out there, hi. Uh, Batcave is a really cool place, and I highly suggest um, making a trip out this way. It's about forty-five minutes south. Of Asheville. We're very nearby uh, Chimney Rock Park and Lake Lure, both of which are incredibly, stunningly beautiful places that um, I highly suggest anyone who really enjoys nature um, to visit if they can, if they haven't already. And it's certainly like a highlight of Western North Carolina. Definitely. As well as the cave, right? The cave. <laughs> There's a yes. cave. The cave, and um, yes, so Bat Cave is named after a um, actually the largest granite fissure cave in North America, and it's really amazing. Right now, it is under the um, it is under the stewardship and protection of the Nature Conservancy, oh. so um, it's not really open to the public. Although it has been in the past, and I don't know if it ever will be in the future. But oh. I feel like it's enough to say that there are endangered bat species, which are very, very delicate. And so uh, because of the white-nosed bat syndrome that has been spreading like wildfire across America, North America, you know, it has placed many bats, including some of the bats here in Bat Cave, in danger. And it's spread by people. So uh, I think that the Nature Conservancy is kind of doing the right thing in you know, not wanting the public to visit. So, um, anywho, Batcave, in a nutshell. I, Because I believe I was able to go. I think we... Yeah, many years ago, yes. Bef that yeah. was before uh, White Nose. Yeah. Happened in bats. Yeah, it was, it was, it was cool. Um, they were, you know, they did little tours through the, through the cave. So, um, but yeah, if anyone, um, 
I think I went to Chimney Rock like a long time ago. If everyone is in like Western North Carolina and wants to check out some really, really cool like outdoor, outdoorness. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. Awesome. Um, so, um, see um i usually have my questions written on a paper but today i just have them on the computer so hey uh, really really quick oh, uh, may, yeah. I, may i speak okay yeah I just definitely thank you thank you for doing this and i'm really i really love the concept of your stories from the earth and i love your premise that you know um herbalists are as diverse and amazing and you know um you know, as, as individual as plants themselves and even places, you know, it's like, we really yeah. get to appreciate the beautiful individuality of, you know, like our little microclimates here in Western North Carolina. It's, it, you know, from one side of the mountain, literally to the other, there's, so, I mean, it can be so different. And I would like to think as, you know, of Asheville and Western North Carolina is kind of like a little hot spot with all of its like little microclimates of amazing people doing amazing things in their amazing places. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for doing this. And um, I'm honored to be with you. Well, you're welcome. And I'm honored that, um, you know, so many wonderful herbalists have um, come and yeah. been willing to chat with me and, um, you know, tell their experiences and their stories and, you know, and everything else. Um, and I'm hoping one day to, you know, branch out and talk to herbalists uh, from, you know, across the country um and um you know and and i also want to uh you know when we can travel again uh, go take this thing on the road you know like just go visit and so i can you know actually see or you know go wildcrafting with somebody go in the woods go see their garden go see their workspace go you know just take it a little more even further so um Stay tuned, everyone. <laughs> but um, I couldn't have done it without you guys. So I was just floored. So yay. Awesome. Well, um, uh, Heather says nicely said. <laughs> My friend Heather. Um, <laughs> um, so awesome. Well, thank you. Um, So um, we're just going to jump into it. Um, so tell us a little about yourself and describe how you got interested in herbalism. Like what sparked this interest? Why did you want to become an herbalist? Why did you want to like work with plants? How did this sort of journey start? Um, okay, so um, let's see. You know, so I, gr I grew up uh, not here in the Appalachians. I grew up in, in like on the coast of North Carolina. Oh. And my father was kind of like a historian and an EMT. And so I kind of got to witness a lot of, you know, like, or I didn't get to witness it specifically. I was young, but I got to kind of explore in a way <laughs> the world of medicine, you know, through what he was doing. And of course I like probably read medical texts and all kinds of things that was like way out of my, you know, <laughs> reading age. And I mean, 
I just, I've always felt like healing, whether that be emergency response or herbs or, you know, I don't know, like the comfort of a kissy or a bandaid, <laughs> you know, as my four-year-old would put it, is just so important. And so, you know, um, my father did that, you know, and, and, you know, my mother has this amazing green thumb. <laughs> and so I kind of grew up, you know, also with her, you know, working in like garden center and, you know, us having our garden, we didn't have like a farm or anything, but, right. you know, I think I, I feel like I inherit this green thumb, both sides of my family, maybe prominently from my mother's side. And, you know, obviously my father being kind of like an EMT and, you know, someone who shows up to help people when they're hurt. I don't know, maybe that kind of came together <laughs> in, yeah. in me. And um, so, you know, I've kind of traveled around. I was kind of always interested in, you know, how to like, I don't know, or maybe not like emergency medicine because it's nothing that dignified or formal in study, but uh, maybe just a, a love of medical anthropology and ethnomedicine has kind of eventually led me here to this place, which is my life now, which is here like on the mountainside in Bat Cave. And before I moved out here, um, I lived in Eastern North Air, I'm sorry, Eastern Tennessee. I, I learned about Joe Hollis, who is like my abiding hero and friend. And, um, you know, what he has created there in Mountain Gardens is paradise. That's what he calls it. It's a paradise garden and it is truly a paradise. And in my eyes and in so many others and absolutely to him, you know, his experience with the Peace Corps and international, you know, um, studies and medicine, especially Chinese medicine. So he has a Chinese, you know, herbal apothecary. And that really interested me. And so for a while I studied with him and then I wound up moving to Asheville, um, you know, as the gravitational force goes and kind of got involved with uh, Chinese medicine. So for a while I was a dispenser in a Chinese herbal kind of like dispensary or apothecary. You know, I filled Chinese uh, herbal prescriptions for people. And so I got to work with like all of these dried herbs and it was kind of before I knew a whole lot about um, how they grow and where they were grown and their actions and medicinal properties. And I mean, you could really just fall into a, yeah. a never ending rabbit hole of Chinese medicine. You know, they just are so granular and they just take it to levels <laughs> unheard of in a, a lot of other, you know, um, I guess modalities and the way they interact. And I mean, even down to like the number of herbs in a, um, you know, it, um, in a formula, yeah. <laughs> it's like numerology, really. I was like, I was like, what? Numerology is important in, <laughs> I mean, not numerology specifically, but like the number of herbs in that way. And so it's really interesting. And so I got really interested in, I got really interested in Chinese herbs and, you know, through my connection with Joe Hollis kind of learned that, you know, a lot of the things that they use over there and have for thousands of years um, can, you know, there's there's counterparts that grow here. There's native versions, you know, some can be brought over here and grown easily. 
And so Joe Hollis has been a major inspiration for me, um, you know, as far as what he does and the work and the amazing work that he's done with kind of forging a connection between Native American <laughs> herbs and herbalism and Chinese herbs and herbalism. So um, that's kind of been an inspiration to me. And it turns out that ginseng was like the major connection for me because I didn't really know <laughs> that ginseng grew here, like Native American, oh. like American ginseng. So Panax, Syncopholius versus, you know, its sister herb, Panax ginseng, which is the native Chinese ginseng, which is the king of herbs. And so when I came here and my wonderful partner, Martin, he's like, hey, he's like, hey, do you know where that plant is? And I was like, like, I probably should, but I don't. And then he was like, that's American ginseng. And I was like, like wait, what? <laughs> that's ginseng? And then I was like, I was like, maybe look at like reading about it. I'm like, that is the ginseng. That is ginseng that has been used for thousands of years as the king of herbs in Chinese herbalism. I'm like, it grows here. it's not this, it's not the exact same plant, but you know, it has sub, sub, subtly different properties and, you know, like just profound uses for healing people and, you know, like anti-aging. And now, I mean, with modern medicine, we're getting into like diabetes, cancer, you know, like all of these like amazing ways that it can complement you know, um, other treatments and ease other treatments. And it's just, I mean, it's an amazing kind of ally to humanity. And so, I mean, it took me a little bit to realize that, you know, the plant that I was standing over kind of looking down at was this incredibly important plant. And when I started learning more about it, I was like, oh man, ginseng, it's commercial value. I mean, so because people pay a lot of money for it and mo much, most of it is exported out of the country, mm -hmm. you know, this plant is very nearly endangered or if it's not, it should be, <laughs> um, you know, I guess I could expound upon the CITES, you know, um, the CITES status of ginseng, but. Oh, oh yeah. And I'm just thinking that uh, we're, yeah, I'm going to ask you some more about that. So, so, I so mean, anyway, uh... it's like, <laughs> herbalist journey kind of culminating right here right now for me with ginseng and I I'm also really into natives native plants for both edible use and medicine and just for forest stewardship in general and I'm kind of a proponent of really learning a lot about what you have where you are almost instead of planting things I'm not saying you can't plant things I mean plants edible plants you know gardens I mean those are so important for humanity's connection with nature and for more practical purposes. But um, yeah, so I mean, natives, ginseng, forest community plants, and things like that. I mean, that's kind of where I, that's my wow. wheelhouse, I suppose. Well, that's quite a journey. Um, it's almost <laughs> like you found not only like a, um, it's like you found a place, but that place also had a plant that would be super important to you. So, I mean, I, I think a lot of people are drawn to the mountains and it's like, oh, there's a lot of biodiversity. So there's a lot of, I mean, I'm not saying that there's not more plants, you know, that you are interested Absolutely. in, right? Sure. 
Yeah. But like this, you found this one specific plant that really, really, um, you know, um, has become important. And um, so that's really cool. Um, so Heather put up the link to Mountain Gardens. Now you can, Thank you. yes, you can go visit Mountain Gardens. It's open. You just have to contact. I don't know about what, because of COVID. So you might have to wait, but normally um, you, I think you just contact them and say, hey, I want to visit. If you email Joe, he'll get right back with you. And um, especially, I mean, right, right now in the off season, I don't know. I mean, he usually has like interns and, and things like that. And um, like during the growing season, but, you know, I would certainly get in contact with him. And, you know, mm -hmm. any season is an amazing season to go visit mountain gardens and i highly suggest like putting forth tremendous effort to visit <laughs> in all yeah. four seasons it's, you know like once per season just to witness like yeah to witness yeah. it because it's, it, it's really cool it's definitely worth a trip um they have a large uh library um and um just huge all kinds of uh books on everything um and um, yeah, you just sort of, I mean, I'm glad I got to visit. Um, I've only, when I went in one season, he was like, oh yeah, so the echinacea was blooming. So I feel like it was like getting on summer. the college summer, yeah, yeah, somewhere summer. in there, but not spring. Um, so, but, but yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's amazing, unique place. Um, I wish there was more places like that. And that was really, really cool. It's very inspiring. Um, so um, I've got Evelyn uh, Thatcher. Hi, Evelyn. Oh, I would pronounce your name right. Uh, she says, thank you so much, Sarah, for this incredible uh, vital work you're doing to preserve the precious and endangered ginseng. The world needs you. Oh. And then um, Heather put up the Facebook link also to Mountain Garden. So um, some links for everyone to, to check out. Awesome. Cool. Um, so you might have covered this, but um, have, what was your herbal education like? But I think you answered that unless there was something that you um yeah maybe i could address yeah. that um i am not a clinical herbalist i have really had not much of any formal training now when i was kind of like a dispenser in a chinese herbal apothecary it was pretty straightforward and you know through and and through that is what i is is how i've learned kind of about like dispensing of herbs and so, you know, like weighing, weighing things, I've learned about, you know, Chinese formulas. I've learned about, you know, different, um, different preservations of the herbs. You know, it's like, especially Chinese herbs. I mean, there's like be a hundred different ways, you know, it's like you have, you have fresh things, you have dry things, you have, you know, like um, stewed things. You have, you have like, you know, Romanio is like, is literally, uh, you know, like boils until, you know, it's, it, I mean, it's bendy. 
you know, so it's like the, all of these ways to preserve and process the herbs. I mean, you can just keep going forever in the way that those work together, how they complement, how they complement, how they work in the body, you know, um, you know, what channels they go into, you know, like, like, like so much of that. So, um, you know, I, I wish I could say that I have attended, for instance, Juliet Blankets Forge, you know, um, you know, like Chestnut Her School, Herbal School, maybe someday I will. Maybe. But, I, um, I, I, I missed her. I missed her school too. I, I, and it's all online now and I would have loved to have gone in person. She's, she's a visionary. I'm so glad that she's doing what she does. And I, I would love one day to explore and participate in that more. I'm a little isolated out here. And because of, because of being 45 minutes away, you know, it's not easy for me to travel. I have a four year old, we have a tiny family. So, and honestly, I'm, I stay pretty busy. <laughs> we stay pretty busy out here. Um, just doing stewarding things and, you know, kind of taking care of the place and gardening and trying to be vaguely self-sufficient. But um, so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in any way a dignified or experienced kind of like formal herbalist, but um, you know, what I do like to do is, you know, use photographs to, for, you know, to like forge a connection with people. It's like, Sometimes I like to go like macro into like a flower bloom or a leaf. I'm so obsessed with leaves and chlorophyll. <laughs> it's not even funny. And, um, and so, I don't know. I like to explore perspectives that people enjoy and, and may not find to be a common perspective with plants like that. So I kind of use alternative means, you know, to, to explore things like that. And, you know, um, Cheers, here is my back cave nettle tea. Ooh. I um, it is fantastic. It is so good. I, I waited and I, I like I stalked and I pounced on like <laughs> the, the, the 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 like really small um tiny little nettle shoots. They started com coming up in spring and I cut them and I dried them and I put them in a jar and it is like the best tea and it's nice. super it's super good for you. I don't know. I mean, it's good for your skin. It's good for allergies. It's good for all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, that's the kind of stuff I do. I mean, I'm kind of <laughs> like simple, like keep it simple <laughs> um, when it comes to my own practice, and, you know, like or, of herbalism. So, um, yeah. Anyway, that's kind of like my herbal training It's not much, but, you know, the connection is there nonetheless. I think it's important. Um, and especially since we had like no official formal training here in this country um i think we all it's the reason i asked the question like we i think we all come to this a little differently um and and we sort of all sort of um bring our own perspectives to the table like you use photography and um if you guys haven't there's a link to sarah's facebook and all that website so give a chance to look at her photography it's really amazing and gorgeous and i love um seeing it like almost pretty much every day on my facebook feed um just um you know and i and i think <laughs> heather put stealth, stealth herbalism, herbalism. <laughs> I, I love you're like I pounced, you know and um i mean <laughs> um so, um, but, um, 
yeah, you know, if, if somebody is more like a, a, a you know, if someone's sort of interested in, in plants or, or if maybe they're not and they see your photography and they're just like, wow, that's so amazing. And then it just sort of helps them get to know the plants and then maybe they'll get to know the uses and like, you know, yeah. so I, th I think that that, yeah. yeah, the connection. Yeah. yeah. And it's a very beautiful visual thing. I think it's, it's definitely part of herbalism, which is very like five senses, you know, the smell and the taste and the sight and the feel. Um, and so that's it's, enough. It's immersive. I love yeah. that word, immersive. Yeah. And I love, yeah. yes, the immersion of the natural world and the plants too. Yeah, that's yeah. a great point. It is five senses. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and that's one thing I really like about it. Um, uh, Heather put up a link to your uh, Batcave Botanicals Instagram. I am drinking um, Tulsi, Tulsi tea. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I did not wildcraft it, but I did get it from Mountain Rose Herbs. Yeah, awesome. So at least it is ethically sourced. Um, and it's one of my favorite things to drink. Uh, for do you have a garden? I do I not. Mean, I, I, I have a balcony because I, I'm, I'm right in town um, currently. Um, when we look for a house, we probably will be outside of town due to things like price. But anyway, also you get, you can get land. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's not a bad thing. Um, good, luck. good luck finding the perfect place. And I hope that oh, you can have an amazing you. garden and herb garden. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm more of a, um, a wild crafter, I think like, like you, but, um, uh, I have three pots out there. I've got comfrey, I've got lemon balm, and I've got a catnip that is hanging on. They're all hanging on. So com <laughs> comfrey grows really well out outside. Um, comfrey you know. is definitely, I mean, I don't know, one of the top 10 things to have on hand for sure. And lemon balm is definitely chief amongst them too. I mean, I don't know. It's like I advocate, I really advocate for something as simple as making, I mean, like picking a plant and making a tea out of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, like fresh or dried. I mean, that's just such an easy way. Obviously you want to make sure it's safe, but right. you, you know, know what the plant. That. Yeah. And identification is important. Identification, yes. Identification and make sure it's safe, but you know, make it, in, make it into a tea, drink it, you know, kind of absorb it you know, kind of become immersed in it, you know, or yeah. ste steep yourself, <laughs> steep yourself in it. Uh, for see, how, see how it feels, you know, it can be, yeah. herbalism can be very complex, but it also can be very simple. And I think that most people get, um, feel like it, it, it's not, I feel like it's, oh, it's, it's, I have to know so much, but, but you don't, you don't have to know so much, or at least, you know, it is, it's accessible, you know, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, you can make like a ginger infused honey, which is really good. Like that's herbalism, like, you know, like, like you were saying, like a tea. Um, so even if, even if you got the Tulsi tea in the tea bag from the health food store, mm -hmm. you know, you're still, tasting the plant, you're still experiencing that, you know, if you're like, oh, I'm not up to doing well. Is that a plane? I'm sorry, that's my end. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> I 
I should I, I, I can plug in my inline mic. I think it'll be gone in a second. It's we okay. don't get much traffic out here except for air traffic. <laughs> we get a little bit of air traffic. I love that uh, you're outside and we can see like the trees behind you and that's that's really really great. Oh if it wasn't oh, so oh, cold. Ooh. If it wasn't so cold, hey, there's my stack of books. Um, if that it wasn't so cold, I was going to set up in front of our waterfall. Oh. Uh, or at our creek here Ooh. on our property, which is super special. Um, but, yeah, it was kind of too cold to go over there. So, <laughs> anywho, I'm well, out here in like my it. office on the porch. Nice. That is that is a great office. <laughs> oh, here. Um, here's, here's the bonus. It's our firewood. So I'm like, this is my office. It's like my desk is a stack of firewood. So very, very uh, traditional Appalachian, perhaps, out here in Backgate. A nice uh, mix of old and new. Yes. <laughs> yes. A laptop on some firewood. On some firewood? Um, yeah. So uh, on some firewood. Yeah. So, right. um, um, you know, it's it's been really interesting exploring herbalism with my four-year-old and you know it's kind of fun with the photography too because we don't go anywhere we don't travel we walk we walk around our our property um how many <laughs> we don't do polar punches that? we don't do polar punches in the creek it is cold but they do do um, polar punches at lake lore oof. what was that how many no i'm sorry I didn't, how many acres do you have 47. Oh, that's amazing. And and most of it is not walkable. So really, we only, we're only out and about on like 10 of them. And so we are, we're, we're grateful and lucky. And honestly, right now in these incredibly hard times, I'm realizing I'm not taking it for granted. And I wish I could share this little piece of kind of tranquility with everybody because, um, I, I mean, I don't know what to say. I can't imagine how hard it is for every, literally everyone else who has it harder than we do right now, which is pretty much everybody. I mean, we have a huge property and the ability to walk around. I mean, we have like a fire pit. We have a creek. We have a water, a personal sized waterfall. We have a garden. And so that keeps us pretty busy you know, and herbs and things to harvest. And, and so that keeps us pretty busy and, um, especially the four-year-old and, um, yeah, if I could, I would absolutely truly share a piece of this with every, every person in the world going through, you know, stress and strain and suffering because of what's going on right now. I really wish I could. And in the meantime, um, I can't really <laughs> go for hikes with people. But if you're in Western North Carolina and, um, you know, are interested in learning a little bit about, I, I welcome you to get in touch. And go for a, like a little individual walking tour of our little area. Um, it might be fun. Oh. Well. Hmm. 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 Get in touch. Back at gmail.com. Well, I mean, um, perhaps in the spring. Yeah, you know, I would. I would love to. I would love to see you post COVID, and you know, I'd love yes. to give you a tour with a with a, with a video camera. 
that, I think that would be so awesome. I just can't wait. There's, there's, um, it's like, it's just going to be like a, yeah. I mean, like I, yeah, I think it's so awesome. There's, there's several others that I definitely wanted to do the same thing with. And, um, uh, I, I super excited. So yeah, I, I think that's amazing. So, um, you know, we can bring everyone virtually at least. Yes. Um, pro probably yes. not live, but, but it's all right. come <laughs> along and take a trip and, um, Inter internet you know. connectivity can be an issue out here. So maybe not live, but for sure. I mean, Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so a tiny bit about this property, it's 47 acres. It's very steep. The top of our property kind of terminates in cliffs. And so we kind of have like this cove and like a little ridge and then another cove. And our house is kind of on the little ridge. And so on one side, we have two creeks. And on the other side of the ridge where our house is, we have another creek. Drive away. And so, and so yeah, it's, um, it's pretty intense. I mean, I certainly wouldn't call it like strenuous hiking, but I mean, we have lots of paths and things and nice walkable little roads and stuff. And it's basically a rich mesic cove and it has maples and birches and hickory trees that are just huge. Um, we used to have hemlocks, Carolina hemlocks, unfortunately kind of got um, wiped out by Wooly Dilgid, unfortunately. Um, but we have a bunch of plants here. So many wild edibles, wild medicinal plants. And um, so I guess right now in this phase of my life, I'm kind of working on kind of like the growing aspect. No, we don't have close neighbors. <laughs> Unfortunately, fortunately, oh, we don't. Sorry. Okay. Okay. No, no, so. that's fine. Um, I, I have a lot of, um, um, we since we had technical difficulty, we didn't get to discuss the some of the like the the other things that I usually go over. But um, a lot of people do opt not to pay attention to the chat. But I but I try to say they they can. So that's good. I'm glad. Go yeah. Feel feel free to answer anyone's questions or you know um, uh, Heather has a uh, a large garden and uh, she's in uh, she's in Tennessee. So yeah, um, part of Tennessee. Oh, sorry. Uh, I can't really I can't really converse with you. No, you can. You can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Answer. And um, so, um, you know, so like really quick, just to round this little piece up. Sorry, I'm probably like too much information. No, but, no, no, um, no. <laughs> we have, um, you know, we we have lots of incredible species like um, woods nettle. Uh, woods nettle and wild ginseng are my two favorite plants, although I have many others. You know, we have bloodroot, we have trilliums, we have Solomon seal. We have, I mean, so, so many things that just grow naturally here. And honestly, we've been so broke, I haven't really ever been able to like invest in a bunch of plants to, to grow here. But instead, it has been amazing watching this place year after year and learning ramps. Yes, we do. Um, and so 
just kind of watching it year in and year out in the different seasons and, you know, like being like, Ooh, I wonder what this planet is and looking it up and just being like, Whoa, check that out. Um, it's like, what can I use this for? It's like, how many things are edible? You know, um, we have, uh, get this, this is kind of fun. This is like a little known traditional Appalachian plant is a branch lettuce or branch lettuce. As they I've, like I've to heard say of the branch there. lettuce. So it's in the um, saxifrage family. It grows in and on our creek. Uh, it needs like constant running water. And um, wow. it's kind of, they the old the old timey recipe is called um, kilt lettuce. And so what you do is you take, you take this, uh, you know, you harvest it only in the early spring. You make a big pile and you take um, hot bacon grease and toss, toss, toss the stuff in it and it wilts it. And I have to admit it's pretty tasty. I mean, um, I bacon grease. <laughs> I know, bacon grease. I was like, I'm like, I'm saying this to Asheville. <laughs> In, unless you're a vegetarian. Yes, uh, obviously. So you probably, probably not for you, but um, yes. Warm olive oil or something, but yes. I mean, yeah. so, you know, kind of exploring um, kind of like that old-timey cuisine. And another thing I'm really into is um, sansai. And sansai is Japanese mountain vegetables. They're purely wild harvested every every spring. And it's kind of almost kind of like its own little cult going on in certain places of the world. But, you know, sansai also kind of, you know, expanding to like Chinese wild crafting of some amazing plants that they have over there. I've started watching this YouTube channel called Lizishi. And uh, yeah, she's amazing. And one of the things she does is she goes out and she harvests, carefully harvests like wild mushrooms and, you know, like plants in different stages and buds and steams them. And, you know, like all of this amazing kind of wild cuisine that is incredibly inspirational. So, and, and like almost so inspirational, it's painful to watch <laughs> kind of inspirational. But, um, but yeah, she, she, she's amazing. And so, um, you know, one of the things that we have planted here is wasabi, wasabi japonica. So it is not a native American herb. I don't think I've ever seen it except in its like mushy green blobness. Exactly. Well, yeah. that is how it is known. Um, international renowned mushy green blobness. <laughs> and, exactly. so, um, <laughs> and so Joe Hollis, he was one of the first people in America to grow wasabi in a cold mountain creek that never dries out and it just so happens that we have like the perfect place to um, to grow it and it's kind of like watercress it's right in the same family actually they're they're very um they're very closely related i mean jap like wasabi is basically japanese watercress um yeah, heather yeah. that's amazing yeah i bet i mean maybe east tennessee definitely has a tradition of things like that and ramps certainly i, I wish I, similar. I mean yeah. I, I feel like that from our i mean heather's like conversations like i i think that like it's pretty similar um uh to i mean i, I don't think she's in necessarily the mountains but she might i you know like i uh, 
lots of wasabi sold in the U.S. is guy green horseradish. Well, that? I did not know that, Heather. So real wasabi is rare. It's very rare and very expensive. It's usually only available commercially as like a as a dried as like a dry powder that you reconstitute in order to have it like you know with like with your <laughs> with your sushi but um or raw fish but um so <laughs> um yeah so that that's that's definitely a fact and you know the reason why is because it's so hard to grow it, it has to have extremely specific um you know like requirement like growing requirements and those specific growing requirements are that it has to be in a very cold creek all year round and grow in gravel and it kind of has like mildew issues and you know if you don't make your beds the right way and space them out and then you know as with anything that grows in a creek flooding can be a problem so i mean there's definitely some interesting factors but you know they have been doing research on wasabi in western north carolina and um you know janine davis of uh, the North Carolina State University Extension Agency. Um, her website, I think it's ncherb.org. Um, ncherb.org kind of talks about that. They, I think they've done some studies with that in Western North Carolina. And I think there's a handful of other people who grow wasabi. But because it takes like eight years, like ginseng, to grow right. a decent yeah. root. You know, we're just, we're just, you know, doing seeds and doing, um, like leaf garnishes right now, but you know what? The leaves are really tasty. Really are tasty. Are they, are they, um, are they also kind of peppery? Kind of spicy? Yes, they're peppery, uh, but they have a, a wonderful spiciness. It's kind of like almost sweet and it's not anything like the horseradish that you have, um, like in a restaurant, but, um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> if I may go off on a, on another momentary tangent, the reason why wasabi was, um, you know, decided upon in ancient Japan and, you know, probably Japan, um, to accompany things like raw fish is that the, the, is that the compounds in horseradish kind of counteract things that would, that could possibly make you ill like raw mm. fish or E. coli and things like that. And so this culinary kind of relationship has developed over all of these years, kind of, you know, um, you know, like raw meat and raw fish. And, you know, it's like mustard. Mustard is a condiment, you know, that's maybe our Western version. But, you know, wasabi was a condiment kind of developed to go hand in hand, not only because it tasted good, sashimi and raw fish but you know because it actually had a purpose and um, which is kind of interesting really if you think about it yeah because it i mean it definitely seems like a lot of the foods that we sort of eat just especially these days sort of have less relevance in any way to anything like you know we don't have to eat by the seasons anymore you know, that's, it's divorced from there. It's sort of just all over the place. And then, you know, um, I think a lot of people are so busy that like, it's hard to even like sit down and kind of notice what you're eating and 
everything. So um, it's really cool that, um, yeah, so yeah, it's definitely interesting and, and I wish that like we could sort of bring some of that back into our, our lives a little bit, um, but um, yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> and it's really important and, and on so many levels, but yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I think that's kind of like the principle behind things like Sansai. It's like everybody after this, like, you know, long winter is just absolutely craving something green. And so they go out and stalk and pounce, you know, on the, on the, on the mouth of the wild mountain vegetables, like Hosta. You know, Hosta is actually, is actually an edible species considered a delicacy in Japan. Mm. Like they're native Hosta. It's just kind of like, what? That's like garden center stuff you know i used to drink pastas when i worked at a garden center so anyway um you know just that kind of amazingly interesting kind of stuff um that's something i'm really into as well yeah that's that's like, awesome like yes. proto agriculture and maybe the origins of agriculture but not i mean not like monocropping like today but Right. You know, it's like going out and finding and foraging and wild crafting and things like that. Eating, or at least incorporating a percentage of it into your diet. I mean, I kind of I kind of wish I had found out what this thing of, of ethnobotany was like years ago, because that is I love I that's definitely I love that because it combines like history and and then how people used to use the plants and the and then, you know, I'm interested in all that. And I yeah. and I feel like it so, has so much value to the world we live in which is so like wonka do i mean i definitely feel like i myself is like a, one of those plants that has very specific growing conditions <laughs> you know like in my journey through life so i can definitely relate to the uh, to the uh <clears throat> wasabi heather says i have not eaten host hosta yet i have not either heather and she said i jump on my chickweed yeah, <laughs> I you know Heather, I have not eaten hosta yet either. I kind of like chicken out maybe because I'm not sure if the, the if the fancy landscape varieties yeah. are like edible or even like safe to eat. But you know, in Japan, what they do is they go after like the bamboo like shoots of the hosta as they're coming out of the ground. So they're kind of oh. treated like fiddleheads. Yeah. Um, you know, if anyone has ever, you know, if, if anyone's familiar with kind of foraging for fiddleheads, it's like you want to like see them through the year, mark their location and then and then come back and stalk them until they get the right size and then sustainably, sustainably, ethically, you know, like harvest them from a large package and things like that. Yeah. Yes, I jump on chickweed too. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, say something but um um so let's see so what is your idea of who an herbalist is and what an herbalist does um just just in general or or more specifically yeah um, oh, I, poke, poke salad. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> poke salad. I like your borage. Is that a borage? 
I think it is. Oh, hold on. It's very beautiful. Borge is one of my favorites. Yeah. Heather, um, is that, that a Borge? Let us know. <laughs> it is. Is it a nightshade? Excellency. Oh, anyway. Um, <laughs> so, um, an herbalist. Who is an herbalist? What is an herbalist? I feel like an herbalist is anyone, you know, who is... <sighs> I don't know. I guess herbalism is like individually or collectively using nature and plants. So like heal hurts or humanity. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's like infinitely scalable. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. and you know, as for how, you know, I guess herbalists kind of self, uh, <laughs> self identify. I mean, for, you know, for me, it's like, I would loosely call myself an herbalist. <laughs> I mean, I'm certainly not anything like, you know, Corey Pine Chain or someone like that who is an absolute, you know, like, like amazing dignified herbalist who is highly respected in the herbal community. And I think that's amazing. And um, so he's an amazing example of what an herbalist is. I mean, Joe Hollis, Juliet Blankenspore. I mean, I know she's just, She's an educator, like, you know, Corey Pinestein, you know, Mark Williams, you know, these are some of the people that I have the privilege to know of. I don't really know so many people personally, because I'm kind of like a hermit out here, like a hermit thrush out here on the on the side of the mountain in Bat Cave, like the bird, and um, who actually plants ginseng, believe it or not. And, um, and so, you know, Joe Hollis, like I said, a total inspiration for me. His vision, you know, for for making a place that is that takes care of the people who live there as much as they take care of it, you know, like a, that's like a reciprocal, I suppose, relationship with um, with nature, and then making that available. So, I think I might be a little bit more on like the advocate or educational side of the herbal spectrum um and and that's, yeah i don't know i think it's i think it's you know for me it may be a unique perspective and, and the ability to like help people connect maybe herbal photographer yeah maybe. yeah no um you know i mean it's a very it is a very general question and um you know and i think that um you know um it doesn't have a set definition. So, um, you know, um, I feel like your photography definitely like comes through the screen, um, very loud. So, um, you know, I mean, I, um, uh, so you might, you might not be around too many people in person, you know, but like through the magic of the internet, you know, and then your your pictures that really comes through. So, um, and and definitely, you know, is needed somebody who's who's taking pictures, who's advocating, who's stewarding, as well as someone who's teaching, and you know, maybe seeing someone in a clinical setting. So I think every everybody is important, and you know, so I, um, yeah, it's as, so, it's, it's as individual as everyone who practices it. So yes, yeah, I love, I love exactly. how you say that. And you know, yeah. Yeah, you know my 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 four year old has used plantain for like a scrape. 
I mean, and I hope that he might continue, but, you know, I kind of, I mean, he's obviously not an herbalist, but I'm hoping that, you know, that connection can grow and, you know, maybe set the foundation, you know, for, for, I don't know, making, making his own tea, drinking his own tea, growing some of his own food, you know, things like that. I mean, there's any number of ways. And, um, you know, as far as the photography goes, you know, I use, this is what I use take my yeah. picture it's like a google google like phone google phone and so it's not like a fancy camera and i don't travel places and you know i really like taking pictures of different things through the year like the different phases and the, and the cycle and you know it's like griffin is just like mommy hurry up come on and i'm like i'm like on the ground like doing this low call, kind of like picture of Plan. He's very patient, but um, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Well, and so, yeah. It's I mean, it's about perspective, and sometimes it's about changing your perspective. You know, for me, I oftentimes like to lie on the ground, and you know, like take this really weird low depth of, you know, oh, like a field photo of like some some dew on a leaf or something. There's um, um there's a Japanese filmmaker called um his last name is ozo forget his first name but he he's he does slice of life movies um and um from like you know 40s 50s and he uses a very low camera so everything is and all the movies are very slow but they're so good uh i would love to i would love to see that i'll have to i'll just send you a a link to just, um, you know, just like maybe the wiki page, so you can. That'd be um, great. I love you. I think you would really love his his movies. Um, but my theory is because um, my my parents, my dad's very like into the. Uh, he used to work at a photo uh, camera store, and and we used to. They um, didn't work, but. Uh, we started a low power television station. And basically, you know, I was like 12 on, on a camera that, you know, That's like great. running around. But I also don't use the most high end camera. It's not about, it's less about the technology and more about the, the person using it. Like you should see the camera I used to do my videos. I have to get a new camera really badly. and. Actually, I want to get a, a really, really nice, like, new video camera. But this is, like, a still camera from, like, 10 years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. They take videos uh, with from a YouTube channel. And, um, you know, but, like, so, um, you know, I think people do get hung up a little in the tools. But, um yeah, I mean, I mean, phone cameras are great these days. So. Yeah, I know. They're, it's it's pretty astounding what they have the power to do and what's at your fingertips. Right, and I it's just like the way you see the world comes through there. So that that's like the important bit. Um, and I wouldn't have known that you just shot anything with a, a cell phone camera. <laughs> uh, you know, I like I like low angle because it makes the nature feel big and the perspective. Yeah smaller which is something i feel is like embedded 
to me and like the immersion of, of with nature i mean that's like part of what i love about it. it's like i feel so small and insignificant <laughs> or something you know it's like i have this view of the mountains and it's like every morning it's like well no matter how crappy my day has been you know it's like i can still look out on this and just you know be like it doesn't matter <laughs> you know it does but it doesn't you know in the grand scheme of things um and um and yeah you know it's all about perspective and you know i'm gonna credit my son with that because i mean he's four years old he's got a hawk eye and i mean it's like he sees things that i would never even dream of looking at and i mean i'm mod moderately observant and you know so it's like he points things out and it's just this wonder of a four-year-old who's never seen or touched something before it's like all so new and i love that and so i guess i kind of try to capture that with my with my photographs and he's in a lot and, of them which i really love it's really <laughs> 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 i try not to take too many pictures of him actually i ask him his permission before i even like point a camera in his direction or my phone and he's like he's like yeah mommy no mommy i'm like i honor your your reluctance so he's getting to that age now so Heather says it's a wood horse nettle. Uh, yeah, wild horse nettle. Yeah, wild so horse is nettle, so. Yeah, rock yep. on. <laughs> awesome. Um, and um, I, I, I feel like you know, since he's so immersed as well, that you know, some of it's got to rub off. So I hope so. He a while back, he he was like. He asked his dad, he was like, is that a momodendron? Because we have like rhododendrons all over the place, you know, which are, I mean, <laughs> beautiful and, and, and kind of harsh. And we, I mean, we have like, just like banks like this, just covered in rhododendron. And so, I mean, it's not friendly, it's not edible, you know, it's just kind of like eyes only is what I say, but. You know, he's he's so funny. He knows about hollies and how the birds eat the red berries, and he knows about um, <laughs> he knows about rhododendrons, and you know he helps me in the garden, and you know he likes to eat little you know blue borage flowers, and you know I I just it's it's a pleasure and honor to be able to teach him the little bit I know about this, yeah. and I look forward to it. I don't know, maybe he'll maybe he'll turn out to be a uh, a nature person in his own right. I hope so. Well, one thing is for sure, the first plant he ever knew was ginseng. Because, you know, before we even were like spending tons of time outside when he was an infant, because he was born in, you know, like winter. <laughs> I was looking at pictures of ginseng and talking and he liked the red berries. And so that was, that's kind of a, a nifty little thing. I don't know, I might have should have named him ginseng. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> nah. Too on the nose. <laughs> I know. That's a little obvious, but still. I don't know. <laughs> well, on that note, shall we talk about ginseng? Uh, yes, we should. I would Let's love to. Let's do it. Um, so two questions. Um, first, we're going to, I'm going to just start out with like a definition, general definition for everyone who maybe not, who doesn't know. So would, how would you define, would you define woodland botanicals for us and how they are different from other herbals um and the second question is why did you want to work with ginseng which i think you sort of answered and what's so special about this herb as opposed to other herbs so um 
my 100 days of Gen Z. Yes. Uh, plant, plant every seed. 100 days of Gen Z. Um, <laughs> thank you for letting me do that. Um, oh, okay. um, so what are native, like woodland botanicals, native botanicals? Woodland botanicals. Like to define what is a woodland botanical? Uh, because ginseng is a woodland botanical, but what, what is one? And then why, why are they different? Um, okay. Then so, like your weed or your, I don't know, your lemon balm, which you were discussing, or your echinacea, or just, you know. Okay, so from the general to the specific, and I'm going to preface this by saying I am not a biologist or a botanist. That's fine, just, a, just, just what, you, what, you, what you know, you know, um, yeah, okay. yeah, we don't get too technical. <laughs> so, you know, plant communities plant communities are important and you know there's so many plant communities there's as many plant communities plant communities as there are places you know especially when you get into like little microclimates like up here in the mountains and so forest botanicals specifically you know are are plants that grow and thrive in the forest now you know one of the more obvious things about a forest botanical is that there's not an awful lot of sunlight you know, because you're in a forest. So you have the canopy, you have like total, like anywhere from total shade, complete yeah. shade, which not a lot of things can grow, you know, to, to high ambient sunlight. So if you can imagine like a really high canopy, you know, with, you know, you have your, you have your, your high canopy and then you have like, um, your under your understory trees, smaller trees like red buds and dogwoods and you know witch hazels, and then you have shrubs like a uh, spice bush and rhododendron and you know uh, sweet shrub and you know things like that, and then you have your your forest floor, uh, which are, are usually herbaceous perennials, which are plants you know that kind of come up during the gro growing seasons and then you know like die back in the winter. But they're all perennials. Well, I'm sorry, not all. There's some reseeding annuals, like jewelweed, things yeah. like that, which can, you know, grow too. But um, so when you think about, you know, sometimes there's not much sunlight. Oftentimes there's a lot of competition, you know, um, you know, under the ground, like from trees. It's like uh, I believe. Uh, Ben Kitchen mentioned, you know, it's like maples snacking on things that you might want to plant, for example, you know, um, so you have competition and you have things like that. And so, you know, these woodland botanical communities have to be fairly well adapted, you know, to thrive, you know, not like grow like a, you know, like <laughs> a, a pathetic wilted plant, but like thrive in large, in mass. You know, we have, um, we have just blankets of bloodroot. When they bloom for like one week in the spring, the ground is white. Wow. And I mean, so all of the factors that go into it, you know, like pollination, reproduction, you know, like what's going on that we can't see underground, you know, um, all of that factors into like a forest, like a woodland botanical community. You know, which also, you know, extends to things like ants that pollinate bloodroot. You know, so um, the 
So the bloodroot seed attracts ants to take the seed and take it back to their little their little ant hill, and that's where it grows. Oh wow! I mean, that is a complicated, highly evolved mechanism for <laughs> spreading itself for reproduction, and um, and so huge, vast communities can grow like that. And um, you know, ginseng is just one of hundreds of these different kinds of plants, each one special in their own way and each one playing its own part in that community. Um, you know, one thing that's kind of funny is that, you know, um, oftentimes, you know, ginseng will hide in nettles, <laughs> you know, oh. and it's like a lot of things don't go in nettles because it stings. Right. So yeah. Like a really interesting little side note of, you know, kind of like defensive plants you know, and things like that. And, um, and like so what's that? Like a fort. Yeah, almost. Um, sorry, at the risk of anthropomorphizing a plant, but, um, yes, ginseng. Yeah. Sometimes ginseng can be found in metal patches. They kind of, you know, like coincide, you know, with their habitat and things like that. So, um, forest botanicals often are long lived like ginseng. Ginseng can literally live hundreds of years, which is so uncommon and amazing for an herbaceous perennial. I think so I saw somewhere that like the oldest recorded ginseng root found in North America was 136 years old. Oh my gosh. I'm not sure if that's, if that's <laughs> truly wow. a fact. I think it was a fairly authoritative source. I wish I could remember off the top of my head. But um so they're long lived, you know, um, a lot of times they're determinate, which, you know, is one thing about ginseng. Um, one thing about ginseng, I'm afraid I'm going to have to go get my cord to plug my laptop in. Oh, okay. Is that okay? I'm so sorry. I just, no. I want to do that before I risk going dead. My, my laptop just went yeah, dark. Yeah, go, go, go for it. Oh. So, yeah, I'll be right back to talk about okay. ginseng. And um, anybody, this is a book that I highly suggest. James McGraw's new book, Wild American Ginseng. I'll be right back. All right. Discuss amongst yourselves. <laughs> we'll, we'll find that link. Uh, uh, wait, there it is. Wild American. Wild American. Okay. No, book, book. All right, I'm finding the link, guys. This is the Amazon link. Hopefully it'll... So... Oh, I don't think that worked. <laughs> oh, yeah, it did. Okay. So this is the Wild American Ginseng book link for Amazon. I'm sure it's on other things. Um, all right. Well, I want to thank everyone for joining us today. Um, and if you have any questions, please pop them in the comments. I don't know if that link worked, but I'll just put the title up. For everyone sorry then. about that i should have seen that coming no that's that's totally fine i like the the subtitle for this um 
this book i think it's let's see lessons for conservation in the age of humans humans. yes yes i i think i my link was too long but anyway it is on amazon or other places it's on amazon right now yeah that's that's great that's a great um that's a great and, title. And it is. It is a monumental work of conservation biology. And I mean, and extending to other things. I mean, that's kind of part of his work. Uh, Jim McGraw's work is, um, you know, uh, preserving ginseng, using science to preter- preserve, pre- preserve ginseng for future generations and other plants it's like this is just one and so in his book he talks about keystone species which are species that you know you know either um, you know are important for for humans it's like you know we use ginseng for i mean for for medicine and for the future of medical research and so many reasons ginseng is a touchstone species and you know so you have a touchstone species which is like people that have a strong connection to a plant. I feel like ginseng's, you know, thousands of years of use and economic significance makes it a touchstone species for humanity. And it's like, oh yeah, this is important to us. And so, and then you have like a keystone species. Hmm. And a keystone species is a species that allows so many other species in its communities, in its community uh, to be. And, um, you know, uh, uh, species that a lot of other things rely upon, like wildlife, you know, significant keystone species, you know, um, like allows, <laughs> allows for other plants, allows for wildlife browse, allows for shelter, you know, and, and like all kinds of, you know, significant aspects of, you know, like forest biology or, or, or life to center around it. And, um, you know, for instance, ginseng, um, you know, it's browsed by deer. That's like kind of one of the biggest threats to ginseng is deer browse. And, um, but on the other hand, you know, there's actually lots of species that really like the little red berries, like wood thrush, which is a rare bird that lives, you know, in rhododendron thickets and things like that in the woods. And they actually um, eat the seeds and then regurgitate the, they eat the berries and then regurgitate the seeds. It's kind of an interesting little thing. So basically they see the red berries, they hop over to it, they eat the berries, and then they fly, you know, a distance away and then <laughs> choke up the seeds and they're planted. I mean, that is the mechanics of that. It just, is astonishing. It's amazing. And, you know, thanks to Jim McGraw and his students, you know, at McGraw Labs, you know, we now know that's, you know, a major, a major thing, you know, a major um, factor for, for ginseng. You know, that's like a really interesting evolutionary development, I guess, with, you know, birds. So, um, and, um, uh-huh, go ahead. Um, So, um, um, so I don't know if, if every, everybody knows this, but would you talk a little bit about like, um, 
explain like a little bit about like the like maybe the neat like um so a lot of herbals there's a lot of like nettles are very prolific uh you know a dandelion is very prolific um and okay. common all this stuff but like um um i don't talk about um this thing where like why there's a need for ginseng conservation okay you know, um, um yeah so that has a pretty simple answer to a very complex problem um so ginseng has a very unique biology as i mentioned a moment ago it can live hundreds of years or at least over a hundred years um and um, thanks to, you know, thanks to so much research being done on ginseng, it, we can now safely say that for a wild ginseng plant, it can take up to 10 years for a plant to grow and make its own seeds to replace itself. 10 years. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a generation. I mean, that is a decade in our time. And so because of ginseng's very unique biology, um, you know, like it can, you know, it can, I mean, it, it has to kind of grow up. It has to mature and, you know, lots of things, you know, um, there's lots of things about that. So ginseng takes a really long time to germinate. It can take 18 months wow. for a ginseng seed. Yeah. I mean, it's not like plant lettuce or a daisy or chickweed is not at all like any of those things. And, um, you know, the reason that we need ginseng awareness, ginseng education, and, you know, ginseng conservation is because the commercial value is putting pressure on, on the plant. And it can only grow in certain areas, although I'm sure many experts would agree that, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot that we still don't know about ginseng, mm -hmm. but you know, it easily, it needs to be in the forest, you know, and it needs to be in and amongst, you know, um, it's, it's, you know, woodland plant botanical community. And, um, you know, it can be grown and it is grown in Wisconsin and it is grown in Canada. And by the way, in Canada, it is illegal to pick a wild ginseng plant top or root to dig it it is illegal to harvest it in any way shape or form in order to like sell ginseng you have to have a farm and prove that you planted the seeds so that's kind of interesting that maybe a lot of people don't realize and so you know because of its unique biology it takes so long to reproduce itself and also age is the key to its potency mm. so i mean because it's been used in, in, in Asia, Korea, and, you know, China and places like that, you know, um, there's definitely connoisseurs and, you know, it's definitely widely known that the oldest ginseng roots are the most potent. And that's because of their character, it's because of their size. I mean, I guess there's like a few different factors that go into that as far as desirability. 
on their part. But what we know over here, you know, watching them grow in the ground is that, you know, the bigger ones are more valuable on the market. So, I mean, in order to sell. And, so you know, the big ones are mature plants that, that give seed and, you know, and also make, make more ginseng. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, so how much, like on a range, like how much is like a 10 year root versus like a, I, I don't know. Um, what is the monetary sort of range on a, on a ginseng root versus to the age? There, unfortunately that has broken down. Unfortunately, okay. um, with a lot of, with, with the advent of a lot of people that are kind of new to ginseng and wild crafting it, it's unsustainable because, right. you know, they maybe think it's like a daisy, you know, oh, it'll, it's a plant. It'll, it'll grow back. I'll just take it because I'm afraid if I don't, someone else will come behind me and take it. And that'll be money that I've lost. Right. And I mean, I really do try to spend a lot of time in their position you know, like with ginseng as an economically significant piece of income for them. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah I'm just trying to get an idea of like the value of say so, and wild crafts, um, you know, because, um, uh, yeah. Or, or So in the past couple of years, ginseng has been up to $800 a pound dry. Whew. And, you know, two, three, four hundred for green roots. Those are undried. So those are fresh roots. And I mean, I may be off on my numbers because I haven't been really keeping up to date on it's like okay. the ginseng dealer side, but that is a lot of money. Yeah, ginseng is by far the most valuable wild crafted plant in America. And it only grows, you know, in Appalachia, like the eastern deciduous forests, really, you know, like from the tip of Georgia, like the very bottom, the bottom teeny tiny piece of the Appalachian Mountains, all the way up, all the way up the Appalachians, Catskill, you know, like reaching all the way into like southeastern Canada. Um, that's his native range. And it grows as far, I guess, west as uh, like Wisconsin and the Ozarks. So. Eastern West. Um, so that's its native range. And um, and so, yeah, they're because a lot of people ha are kind of new to ginseng and have been unsustainably wild crafting it or harvesting it. I'm sorry, harvesting it. Um, you know, there hasn't been a direct correlation <laughs> between uh, like root size and money. Okay. And so basically, you know, what people are doing is they are going and taking every plant they see mm. in order to get quantity because that's what they're essentially being so, paid for. So maybe it would even be better if there was like a correlation between root size and money. I, I just put it like that because I was trying to get an idea of the yeah. value, but it's done by pound, which it's is done by quantity. That's, that's, that's worse, isn't that? You know, <sighs> Or they're, they're, sorry, six of one, half dozen of other, maybe. <laughs> well, and so <laughs> I think it's, I think it's amazing that, you know, we have a plant that has supported so many people for so long. I mean, we're talking like keep their lights on, you know, yeah. make a vehicle payment. I mean, put dinner on the table, heat their house. 
you know, historically in America, it has been a significant yeah. botanical. I mean, like almost up there with tobacco, cotton, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, sorry, tea internationally, like tea, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a historically and economically significant botanical know species and um and so even though i'm definitely like a conservationist at heart i want to see both things happen it's like i want yeah. to you know I, you know i want to see ginseng harvested and used in an ethical and sustainable manner and so that's it, my goal you know some people's goals are different you know that's, that's fine but uh um, i i I think that's great. You know, I mean, if people can make a, a good living harvesting these plants, that's fan, fantastic. And I know, yeah, here's Heather yes, says, Heather. Yes, yes, Heather. a means of survival for many poor mountain folks for, for years and years and years. Um, you know, um, uh, people call it sang. 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 You're sang. Mm -hmm. singing. September 1st, singing. <laughs> Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I support that idea as well. I think that if we, you know, um, so ginseng is, has so many moving parts. I mean, like, uh, like the market, the sustainability, the growth, the biology. I mean, there's so many moving parts and it's so complicated and so old. I mean, you can't really expect for a 2000 year, literally market for ginseng, just right. poof, you know? And so, um, and for good reason, I mean, it is absolutely the king of, I mean, it is like the king of herbs. Because there's I so mean, many really good uses. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, still use the plant. Yes. And I mean, I, I, I take it a lot. Like, I mean, I just like you a little bit, you know, it definitely allows me to have a little bit more energy when chasing a four-year-old around a mountainside, uh, for instance. But, um, so, um, let's see. So there's a lot of moving parts, you know, obviously it's not, I mean, it takes so long to reproduce, it's, reduce, uh, reproduce itself. So at this point, the, the commercial value is just devastating wild populations now there have been farms for hundreds of years i mean you know in in north america there have been ginseng farms and they they farm ginseng under shade cloth because it needs shade it can't live in full sun get sunburned just doesn't do well so they put up these big shade cloths and they farm it in rows and then sometimes they even use like big um like like big machinery to harvest it, you know? And so under those circumstances, you know, you're probably talking about five to eight to 10 years max is, you know, is how long they grow ginseng for before harvesting it. Um, and, and then you have, you know, like other means of conservation through cultivation, which is like a term that, has been around for a little bit in the ginseng world, which is people, you know, either forest forest farming, or I'm sorry, forest grown ginseng, which is when you, you're in the forest and you kind of clear an area under the canopy and then you plant it there. That's one way to do it. All the way up until like something called wild simulated, hmm. which is basically 
when you grow it as close as possible to like its native, uh, you know, to the way it would grow in the wild. Except you plant it and you leave it alone. You kind of protect it, keep it out, and, you know, but you don't, you don't cultivate the soil. You don't do additives. You don't, you know, like do anything other than just like plant it and basically protect it. Um, it can get more complicated than that. Ben Kitchen, for instance, is, you know, like really, really good at, you know, all of that kind of stuff too. So I would suggest, you know. Um, and, and, and that's why I would want to, you know, definitely go out to his place and yeah. um, have us show us what he's doing. Um, I think that would be really awesome. Yeah, that would be great. So, and, but, uh, he's at a very special place out there too. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, or the, yeah. the Cherokee tribal lands, and so, um, and then you have, so you have, you have um, shade grown, you have like forest grown, then you have wild simulated, and then you have wild, wild ginseng, and unfortunately, those are the populations that you know have, you know, had so much impact recently in recent years, like the past ten years. And then even more so than that, you know, since media, you know, like TV shows like Appalachian Outlaws and Smoky Mountain, you know, like that kind of stuff um, has really, you know, put ginseng in, you know, um, a bad kind of spotlight. Yeah. So, um, anywho, um, you have the wild populations and they are crucial because one of the big differences between grown and farmed ginseng and wild ginseng is where the planting stock comes from. And mm. so a lot of these, you know, farming operations, they are getting trying to find commercially available seed, which is obviously only coming from places with lots of plants. And so you have like all, all of these, you know, like these farms, which is great because that's actually hopefully reducing the pressure on the wild plants. And, you know, so there's so many more people that know so much more than I do about, about growing ginseng. But, you know, for me, you know, my favorite thing is stewarding wild ginseng, you know, finding, monitoring, planting berries, you know, occasionally harvesting, like only like a, a very small portion of the most mature plants. And, you know, it's not, I mean, yeah, it, it, its value far exceeds its price per pound in my book. So, I mean, I kind of used to be a, an ethical dealer, which, of course, is like code word for me only selling the, the roots that I dug ethically, you know, kind of abiding by my own ethical harvesting, you know, protocols. But now, um, now there's some exciting movement in the ginseng world in that I hope that we're going to be able to start defining stewardship. We're going to be able to start defining ethical harvest, which goes hand in hand in stewardship. But stewardship I, is key. Yeah, I think there's a uh, a label, like I think Mountain Rose is using a like a a symbol. Forest grown verification, or I'm sorry, um, uh, forest grown verified. I think that. Is that part of what you're sort yes. of talking about? Okay. okay. Yes. And so um, that, okay, now that is conscious consumerism. And that is people being able to support, you know, um, everybody. So Mountain Rose, the people that they source their their herbs, you know, their ginseng from, 
you know, that's like a down the supply chain kind of like support of conscious consumerism. And that's great because, yeah. you know, they are, they are sourcing their ginseng. And because of that, I guess they're able to provide, you know, ginseng, you know, in their catalog of, you know, of botanicals because they know it's done the right way, you know, it's certified to be forest grown. And, you know, that this, you know, that the farmer is, you know, ethically and sustainably harvesting their ginseng, you know, growing it, I guess. And so, um, so yeah, that is a label. And that's absolutely one really important part of, you know, of this, of, of trying to, you know, help, help ginseng, you know, recover. And I think like just the education is really important. So, you know, um, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are watching this that, you know, don't, didn't know all this stuff um, about, about ginseng. Cause you just, you just don't, you know, I mean, there, there's probably a lot that do, but um, I, you know. Um, it's absolutely. And, you know, <laughs> it has taken me years of study. Maybe I'm thicker than some people. But it's taken me years of study to really understand all, all of the complex situation and components of ginseng. And, you know, honestly, I don't even consider myself an expert. It's like, you know, Janine, Janine Davis and, you know, David Taylor and Susan Leopold and James McGraw. I mean, those are true experts that, you know, have such a, an amazing perspective. But, you know, to me, as someone who doesn't really have see how do I put this the benefit of high like higher education and a biology or botany degree you know or agriculture I mean there's so much to this I feel like I'm just kind of an advocate yeah and I just want to help people become first of all just aware that there's so much to this yes it's like that's the first step awareness and then you know maybe awareness will lead to interest or curiosity. And then that'll lead to like education. You know, it's like, Hey, maybe I need to educate myself about this. This is kind of cool, you know, and I want personally, my little vision um, would be for everybody who has an interest, you know, to, to have, you know, like access to, to this information in a way that, you know, is accessible to everybody access access so um heather has one question and then um this really leads us right into uh talking about your 100 days of ginseng um so she says are there herbalists that do look for ethically sourced roots in the products like i don't think i quite can you clarify okay. yeah, yeah. yeah okay so here we go Ginseng has not been very uh, has not been a part of west of Western herbalism or herb, herbalism as a lot of the Western herbalists kind of do things. It's mostly been Chinese and you know Asian kind of herbalism, and so because of that, most of the ginseng that has been you know harvested in this country has almost always just gone, just been exported to Asia, Hong Kong typically, and so. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of room for ginseng, you know, because of that, it's like all gets exported. And unfortunately, um, there is the fact that, you know, ginseng with its high commercial value, a lot of times it's out of the price range. 
mm. of herbalists making products. So that's kind that's kind of a factor. And so to answer your question, yes, but only recently. Yes, there are herbalists that look for ethically sourced ginseng specific roots for their products. And it's really important to try to highlight and you know uh, you know to make a dig make a big deal about those herbalists that do because that's going to be really important moving forward. Yeah. And so I mean, with the advent of you know kind of like alternative health you know practices in America and you know um, and things like you know acupuncture and herbalism and you know the things that ginseng is truly like historically a part of you know i'm hoping that there will be a market for american ginseng domestically and that's going to be a, a major part of you know maybe what can help ginseng i mean it's definitely a commodity at this point so um i mean and you know a lot of herbalists you know maybe don't have like a backyard that can grow ginseng right and so yeah that's going to be that's going to be a major part of it thank you for I mean, asking it, yeah so uh, I, um and actually i'm sorry just two sec no, two seconds yeah. jennifer heather um some plants have similar properties to ginseng and it's certainly always advisable to examine and explore alternatives before ginseng you know, before using, you know, something as inex as expensive and as rare as ginseng. So, yes, that's that's yeah. definitely a factor, too. But, you know, ginseng, I don't know, ginseng is kind of special in its medicinal actions and values that, I mean, I think if it were sustainably, I think if, if it were ethically harvested and sustainably sourced, there's totally a place for ginseng and kind of regular tonic herbalism, which is, you know, the kind of thing that you would take on a regular basis in order to like help, help your body adapt as an adaptogen. You know, I mean, it, it's, it grows here. It's part of this country. We should use it. It's, it's, we should use it. It's, it's here. <laughs> we should benefit. We should, you know, it should be a part of Western herbalism. Um, I think well, and certainly Native American herbalism. I'm sorry. Right, <laughs> I right. keep saying that too fast. Native American herbalism and, of course, First Nations herbalism, Native American herbalism, which, yeah, <laughs> um, it, it's it's amazing to learn about that wisdom. I, um, I would I would love to learn more about that. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm, I'm sorry. I keep I keep feeling like I say Native American herbalism. I mean. The herbalism of Amer like um, like native plants, <laughs> native herbalism, I guess, is what right. I'm trying to say. You know, as well as you know, Native American herbalism. So it um, so it has been used, but just not um, necessarily by like us um, us white people to be un uneloquent about it. Um, that that, that it was certainly was, used by the by the First Nations before right. the arrival. Yeah, before the arrival, it's like you know, ginseng was discovered, uh, you know, right. in Canada by a Jesuit priest, you know, who knew of herbalism and knew of you know plants of the Orient, and so that was kind of like the formal discovery of ginseng in America, and the you know before the founding of you know this country. But, the, but it was absolutely used and, you know, kind of, um, 
it was it was definitely used for both spiritual and medicinal purposes by the First Nations. And now I think I should probably close my mouth because I don't know enough to be able to like confidently say, you know, maybe. Um, you know, it's it's amazing though. It's like everything. You know, amulets. So I mean, like they they use ginseng as as amulets. They use ginseng for headaches. They use ginseng, you know, to to help cure illnesses and things like that. So I mean, there was definitely, you know, much use and adoration with them before, you know, colonization. Yeah. So yeah. Um, disclaimer, you know, we don't have the correct terms, but you know, it's sometimes it's hard to to speak sometimes. Um, be, yeah, I understand, but I think we did okay. <laughs> I think you did okay. Thank you, thank you. Um, <laughs> Just trying to stay respectful. <laughs> um, yes, um, hopefully we did not offend anyone. We are we are trying. Uh, so and so with one hundred days of ginseng. I, I, so I kind of go in cycles, you know, I like, I, in some ways I just kind of like live and breathe and eat ginseng. It's always on my mind. I am absolutely, as if you can't tell, head over heels, completely obsessed with this plant. I can't, I can't tell. No, <laughs> I can't, not at all. And so, um, you know, sometimes it can be very frustrating for me on the internet because you know there's growing ginseng communities and i'm just like i'm like ah media you know thanks to those those there then their shows you know that you know kind of single-handedly have a horrible impact on ginseng in some ways most ways um you know i i sometimes get really frustrated and i'm like what can i do what can one person do and so i was like how about this how about i just do a countdown so 100 days until the start of ginseng season in most states, 19 states with the ginseng program, all of them East Coast or Eastern board, and um, just come up with 100 facts, which is absolutely easy because I can come up with a thousand about ginseng or fact facts or you know like cool historical things or. Um, you know, here's how it grows or just, you know, something to try to plant a seed of curiosity in people to just kind of learn more about it because there is so much to it. And so every day for 100 days, sometimes very barely, I was writing them the day of, uh, I was calling it 100 days of typos, but, uh, <laughs> well, it, it, so it is, I, <laughs> Do something every day, especially for one. Yeah. Um. So um. Um. The link is in the description if you want to go to the 100 Days of Ginseng website. Um. And all 100 days is done for this year, but I think there's going to be a, a second, at least. I yes. There's, so there's going to be, be more. Yes, there's going to be more. What I'm going to do is I'm going to rewrite the whole entire thing, with solid footnotes, references, further reading. Um, authorities to help me using quotes, you know, like highlighting books, you know, just, I mean, really do it, do it right, do it better this time. I think that this past year was pretty good. And honestly, it got enough interest from other, um, from other folks and other organizations that it certainly seemed, you know, important to do. And so basically it's just an awareness and education campaign. And so every day I just made a graphic. You know, I 
like a picture of ginseng and you know like a little a little a little fact or a little story you know or a little piece of history uh for ginseng but you know what i really want to foster is an inclusiveness because sometimes i feel like it's a little easy for you know mountain people to either feel like left out or resentful of the science community and sometimes i feel like the science community you know has just done work that is so amazing but also really hard to summarize yeah. um you know in the lay terms that yeah. you know I, I mean i just i feel like there should be a whole lot of bridge building there in inclusiveness and so i just i tried to reach like do something for everybody that i can think of it's like you know whether you're interested in, in buying it, you know, to take, or you're interested in growing it, or you're interested in harvesting it, or, you know, you're interested in conserving it, you know, a little bit of something for everybody. And so um, that's what I tried to accomplish with 100 Days of Ginseng. And um, as a as a cool little side note, I designed these shirts. Yes, can, can we, can yeah. you still get the shirts? Um, they're on a limited print. Okay. But if anyone is interested in them, you can reach out to me and I can okay. kind of arrange that. So it's just 100 days of ginseng, plant every seed. I uh, I um I thought that it was really a cool project, and I and I found I thought they were very accessible. The little tiny just it's just yeah. like little bite size of information, exactly. you know. Um, and at the end of it, you. You didn't even realize you were learning so much about you know, like, <laughs> thank you so yeah. um and i think there's other like links and resources on that page already yeah i hope yes there is and okay. i hope to be broadly expanding it over this winter the countdown will start on may 23rd and that All is right. approximately 100 days before september 1st it's the start of ginseng seasons in most states and, um, you know, the reason why I did it for that is because a lot of people just really look forward to ginseng season. And, you know, a lot of heritage singers, <laughs> like a good friend of mine, uh, he's been digging ginseng for 50 years. Wow. His, his, his grandfather taught his uncle who taught him, like, in this area. So, I mean, what's amazing is that, I mean, he... The way they've done it has always been sustainable, has always been ethical. And so a lot of the plants that he digs are ones that he planted or the ones that his grandfather planted or the ones that his uncle planted. And so I've just really, I, I don't, I mean, that is such a strong and beautiful tradition. Mm -hmm. Thanks to ginseng you know, thanks for, thanks to that experience. I mean, so many children and so many people and so many generations have had, you know, a reason to get out and explore and be a part of nature and learn about things. And, you know, you know, like hunting, <laughs> ginseng digging, I mean, things that, you know, bring us closer to, to, the to, to the land and to nature. So, I mean, it is definitely an irrefutable connection. Um, oh. And, and so I, I love to I love to learn about those old stories and those people who, you know, do it that way. And there's many of them, but unfortunately, I guess for many reasons, there's not a lot of continuation at this point. Yeah. Maybe not in my generation, 
you know, and, you know, a lot of people more and more are kind of turning to ginseng to plant on their property as like a retirement kind of investment, mm. um, you know, which is great. And I fully encourage that. And there needs to be some management expectations because it doesn't grow like tomatoes. It takes at least 10 years, at least 10 years, probably more like 20 or 30 to get like a profitable harvest. And so, I mean, you kind of have to research and, and understand and understand why ginseng is so unique. And I mean, and the other side of that is trying to protect as much as we can, these wild populations, you yeah. know, which have been dwindling, you know, it's like someone was explaining to me like the high grading of forests, which is when you go in and you, you pick out the very best, you know, trees to log out and you leave the rest. And so, I mean, it's damaging. It's, it's not a good practice. It's unsustainable and it's, and it's fairly devastating, you know, in areas where like top keystone species and things like that are, are not able to, to thrive. And, you know, like forest succession is, is altered and, you know, it changes the habitat. And, you know, and then it occurred to me that, you know, ginseng has been high graded almost to death, mm. you know, since, Daniel Boone first loaded up three schooner ships to, to take across the, the Atlantic Ocean. You know, ginseng has been commercially harvested like so hard and so long. You know, what we have left is unfortunately a fairly reduced genetic pool. And so mm -hmm. I mean, if, we can, if we can figure out any strategy to like try to help these wild ginseng populations you know, to try to preserve them or only, you know, art ethically harvest to reduce your impact, you know, and steward, you know, um, steward these populations. That's going to be the key. And um, so 100 Days of Ginseng also does a lot about stewardship. And that's still, while it's not a new principle, is kind of, you know, like new when it comes to, you know, uh, like defining it in a way that everybody can practice. Yeah. And so that's something I'm, I'm really into is just kind of like promoting and advocating for stewardship. And then, you know, what goes hand in hand in stewardship is a way of ethically harvesting to reduce your impact. You know, so it's like, yeah, you're going to harvest and yeah, some plants will go missing. But here are some things that you can do to protect the rest of the plants. Make sure that you're, you know, you keep a healthy balance of all generations, you know, and... Um, you know, ginseng generations is also a very fun topic um, because you can kind of watch them grow up. You have like these little babies and then you have like the teenagers and then you have the mature ones. Um, and then you have like granddaddies or grandmothers. So, um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's really interesting. And, you know, as again, this book talks about stewardship. Cool. <laughs> and, um, and also, I'm, I'm really excited and absolutely honored to be working with James McGraw on a website dedicated Ooh. to his work. Oh, that's and, awesome. Um, you know, obviously, I'm not the expert. He is Jin Chandler. You know, um, they, they are the experts. I'm just helping them try to, you know, like design and present this in a way that is accessible for, um, for everyone to learn a little bit about. And his book's fantastic. Cool. Um, all right, 
well, so everyone, Heather put up the link in the chat if you want to check out 100 Days of Ginseng. Um, and there's also, um, we don't have a t uh, have time to talk about, you have a, a Batcave Botanicals, check out that website. <laughs> but that, um, so um, you also, um, Batcave Botanicals is just, I don't know. It's kind of like a startup nursery to provide like at-risk botanicals. I haven't been doing a lot with it recently because motherhood has kind of kicked my butt. And so I look forward to working on that in the next few years. But really all it is right now is like a website and uh, a hope for the future. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's still good. That's still great. Um, I, I found what was up there really great. So, um, oh, Heather, we don't have time for that. Uh, okay, okay, <laughs> two, two words, ginseng and nettles. Okay, okay. <laughs> Heather asked what, what was your favorite herb, but, but I also wanna um, uh, ask um, about, cause you have more books on that pile, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. All Can right. you hang tight for just one second? Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, you asked me what some of my favorite books are, I yeah. guess, was maybe one of the questions uh, mm -hmm. that we were hoping to have time for before I ran away with it. Um, oh, no, no. The, the, the question list is merely a roadmap. So, okay. you know. Oh. Okay. So, Al Alma Hutchins. This book really has been amazing. I honestly, I think I paid like a dollar for this at a yard sale and I picked it up because of the picture on the front. Look, it's like, I think Mandrake or Mandragore, anyway. And so I picked this up and it has been absolutely um, profound. And not wow. only because she does, you know, uh, First Nations traditions, but she talks about like kind of world, um, world uses of plants, you know, and their counterparts, you know, like, or I'm sorry, um, North American plants and their counterparts around the world. So that's a great one for, you know, kind of like native herbalism, I suppose. Um, and now when it comes to ginseng, this is one of my favorite books, Tales, Tales of, of ginseng, ginseng, which is, it, which is almost entirely tale, like folk tales from around the world. I am a fairy tale person. I love folk tales. I love mythology. I love legends and things like that. And so this is absolutely an amazing book. I highly suggest it. Andrew, Andrew Kimmons. Um, and let's see, of course, um, pardon yeah. my vintage copy, but this is Ooh. growing and marketing gin seal, golden seal and other uh, woodland medicinals by Janine Davis. And I highly suggest all of her work. She runs the extension out of Mill Springs, Mills River. Uh, yeah, Mills, yeah. Mills River. It's, it's Mills River in, in Asheville. In Asheville. Um, and so, they were, it, yeah, I, um, they were hiring once, then I missed it. <laughs> I was like, I don't um, know how to a stick. So, and so oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, um, you know, she does so much work with uh, not only ginseng, but like alternative crops and organics. And so, I mean, I highly suggest her as a resource and her wonderful book. This is the first edition. She has a new second edition. 
Um, you know, this is actually my author signed copy. Uh, like one of, the, one of the first printings. But um, so, yeah, I highly suggest her, her as a resource for anyone interested in growing ginseng. Um, it's looking for, yeah, here's going to be the link to the new, the new one. Um, Thank you. Second edition. <laughs> but um, there we go. That's and so, sorry, I'm making so much work for you all. Oh, to go we love the books. Okay. Um, this book, I highly recommend for anyone who wants to understand the history and the big picture of ginseng. This is Ginseng, the Divine Root by David A. Taylor. And I had the, uh, the pleasure of kind of reaching out to him when I did my 100 Days of Ginseng and kind of getting to know him a little bit. And, um, you know, I, I would love, love, love to pick his brain someday on ginseng history. But this is a fantastic book. And, awesome. um, yeah, I mean, it really immerses you in the history of ginseng, which thousands and thousands of years. I mean, let me put it this way. It's like nations in, Asia, in China rose and fell because of ginseng and the wow. control of it and its territory. And the people harvesting it. I mean, anyway. Uh, so, fantastic book. And then, um, United Plant Savers is also an incredible resource when it comes to ginseng. And this is one of their um, this is one of their publications, The Future of Ginseng and Forest Botanicals. This is actually a symposium proceeding from a symposium that took place in West Virginia a few years ago. And so this is basically like a selection of um, like monographs. Um, let's see. Um, Sustainable Herbs Project. Can wild ginseng regenerate new plants from a replanted root? That's really big. Uh, black cohosh. Ginsenicide profiles and American ginseng. Um, yeah, supply and regulation of American ginseng. There's so much to this. And so it's not so much, uh, you know, like a, like, like a, a book as it is like a, um, it's a collection of, you know, really important, you know, recent papers when it comes and, to ginseng and other forest botanicals. Uh, I mean, um, and, and it's like 10 bucks on Amazon. <laughs> um, yes. Yes. You can um, you can also, or their website. You can also I don't want to always support Amazon, which is, you know, I, I, um, you know, but I just, I just pop those things up because it's easiest, but, um, you oh, know. Oh, hey, they yes. have a free PDF download on United Plant Savers. Okay. So, I mean, this isn't, I mean, yeah, this is unprohibitively available. You can read it on, you know, you can read it online or order the book for $10. So United Plant Savers, I think I might have spelled that wrong. Um, it's an amazing resource. So I would recommend anyone, if anyone's interested in any of these forest botanicals, to check them out. Um, they're in, they have a golden, golden, seal, seal, sanctuary golden seal sanctuary in Ohio. In Ohio, which is gorgeous. I got a chance to go and yeah, you did. It. That was it was amazing. The goldenrod was blooming. It was Ohio. It's mostly goldenrod, apparently. Um, <laughs> amazing. Um, 
golden waves of rod. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, they have like hiking trails, but I took a two day uh, forest. Uh, it was for people who are interested in like growing. Um, so my friend has like five acres of land. So she had some interest in, in um, sort of doing some conservation, some, you know, she has some blood root and some, uh, I don't know if she has any ginseng, but um, she's got some other, other type of plants on her land. And um, so we, we, we got to go and um, that's where I first learned about all, all this stuff. Um, but it's amazing. So if you get a chance, um, yeah, go. Is or it go one, website. It's a one last, this is my last one, I promise. Yeah, one. And then one other link. So okay. this is the Forest Farmer's Handbook. Again, this is by United Plant Savers and Rural Action, which is uh, which is an organization um, up there near Ohio. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not sure exactly where they're based out of, but um, Rural Action is a wonderful organization. And um, they did this Forest Farmer's Handbook. And... So it's like a collaboration. So this is black cohosh, bloodroot, ramps, American ginseng, and golden seal. So these are some of the most profitable things that can be grown in a, you know, in a forest. So if you're a landowner or, you know, like if you're a person who really just wants to grow and like make us an arrangement with a, a forest owner, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that is a likely already growing and could be sustainably harvested and managed or could be planted. And so, um, let's see, um, another, another little thing is that I'm working with the Appalachian Beginning Forest Farmers Coalition. Yes, that's another uh, I built a website for them, their newest website, which I'm fairly proud of. And um, what the Appalachian Beginning Forest Farming Coalition is, is just a way to introduce anybody who is interested in nature, forests, land, forest land, owners. I mean, like uh, companies who make products from things that you can get from forests. I mean, people who, you know, who, who, you know, harvest. I mean, just like the whole, you know, the whole, the whole coalition is, is pretty amazing. And, you know, we like to, to help people get started and to connect people and network and provide free information on things like this. So, I mean, yep. it really should be publicly and freely available. And so that's what we do. And so the website for that is AppalachianForestFarmers.org. I got it up. We'll get the and link. Ginseng. Yes, thank you. And so, and so ginseng is obviously one of the more, one of the more famous, you know, things. So, yes. Come on yes. All right. So, um, we are we are out of time, um, <laughs> but um, I'd like to thank Sarah so much and for joining us and 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 talking about ginseng and and giving us all these fantastic resources and and also like you know um, everything else that you that you do. <laughs> thank you. Um, Thank you yeah. for having me and thanks for letting me ramble on about plants. I tell you yeah. what, if you want to have a part two and a part three, I can fill up your time. Hey, you know what? We are we are almost out of the list of uh, you know, come come spring. I'm probably yeah. gonna be uh, at, I'm probably gonna be hitting people up to come back Good. on Excellent. and have more uh, more discussions. So um, you know, go a little deeper. There's 
Um, yeah. So, you know, and as soon as I can get out there. Thank you, Heather. <laughs> Aw, Heather's this very inspiring interview. Yes. Thank you, Heather. Um, Heather is awesome as well. So maybe one day we'll get Heather on to talk about her yeah. garden. I don't know. Or her I'd latest, like to hear about her garden, Heather. Latest kitchen. Heather has a YouTube channel. So. Oh, yeah. Yes, so there are some videos about her garden up there if you want to uh, check check it out. She also posted a, a link to Joe Hollis's YouTube channel. So yes, thank Joe you. Joe Hollis has a YouTube channel as well. Um, so thank you. I that got away from me sometimes. You know, I'm triple tasking. So um, um, all right. So we are uh, the twenty. Gosh, we're three interviews this month. So the 29th, we will be back at twelve. Um, uh, with uh, uh, Stephanie Hahn. I hope I'm pronouncing her last name right. Um, so that's uh, there's so many awesome people to that I'm getting to chat with. So, uh, um, all right, guys. Well, I hope you have a great day. And um, you know, if you have any questions, just um, you can leave in the comments. This will be up in about 24 hours on YouTube and it's on Facebook right now. There's a stories for their Facebook group. If you're interested in joining um, or if you are wanted to come on and chat about herbs, you don't have to be an herbalist. You know, you can, you can, you can just be a plant enthusiast or whatever, you know, if you just want to chat about herbs, that's, you know, in your experiences really is, what um anyway all right yes been talking for a while so brain has stopped functioning um <laughs> all right guys well um we uh we'll see you next time okay. bye <laughs>